Welcome to the Beyond Barriers podcast. When women lead, share performance and profits go up 50%. Results are more powerful when everyone is empowered. This is the insight that brought the four founders of Beyond Barriers together. We came from a diverse set of leadership backgrounds with a common goal to close the gender gap at work and expand economic opportunities for everyone. Tune in each week as one of us interviews inspiring guests who share stories and cutting edge strategies that will help you learn what helped them go further faster. Hi, I'm Monica, your host for today's episode. Are you tired of feeling like an imposter, questioning your abilities, and holding unrealistic expectations? Do you have these myths floating in your head like, everyone else has it all figured out? Or success means never doubting yourself? Or how about competence requires perfection? In this episode, our guest expert, Dr. Valerie Young, co-founder of the Imposter Syndrome Institute, We'll debunk these myths and share the truth about building realistic expectations and accepting self-doubt. Dr. Young is widely considered the leading thought leader on imposter syndrome and its impact on individuals' lives. Her expertise and insights have made her a highly sought-after speaker and author, and she continues to make significant contributions in this field. Throughout her work, Dr. Young discovered that at the core of imposter feelings, lies the presence of unrealistic and unsustainable expectations about competence. Armed with this knowledge, she embarked on a mission to help individuals recognize and challenge these beliefs, and ultimately empowering them to overcome self-doubt and embrace their true capabilities. Whether you struggle with imposter syndrome or you know someone who does, this episode is a must-listen. Dr. Young's wisdom and guidance will help you gain self-awareness build realistic expectations, and navigate the challenges of imposter syndrome. So grab your headphones and get ready to be inspired and empowered. Visit GoBeyondBarriers.com where you'll find show notes and links to all the resources in this episode, including the best way to get in touch with Dr. Valerie Young. Welcome, Dr. Young. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Beyond Barriers podcast. I am thrilled to have you here. Um, I have been following you for such a long time with, you know, just your research and all of your work around imposter syndrome um, and have had the pleasure to get to know you better in going through your imposter syndrome institute and getting certified. Um, And so I thought, what better person to bring on the podcast to talk about um, your own journey, how you really fell into this space of really learning about imposter syndrome and helping others learn about it so they could get through it or over it or manage it, whatever we want to call that. Um, So I really don't want to waste a lot of time with uh, intros other than helping you start to tell us about your journey. Tell us a little bit about Dr. Valerie Young and your journey to where you are now. Sure. Boy, that's it's been 40 years. So it's got quite a long journey. So I'll I'll try to give you the the short version. Um, you know, went, went to State University, University of Massachusetts in Amherst, and I really kind of fell into the imposter syndrome work. I started out doing work primarily on uh, working with white groups around racism, it was called white on white racism awareness training. I, mm-hmm. as an undergraduate, I stumbled into this workshop by Judith Katz um, and was just really swept away and said, I want to be Judith. And I, I knew nothing about graduate school. I come from a first generation family. This was <laughs> like a doctorate. What's that? Uh-huh. And I fell into this doctoral program. And that's the path I was on. We were uh-huh. doing work on what we would call now kind of oppression awareness. 
Mm-hmm. Racism, sexism, anti-Semitism, classism, ableism. I'm sure we, we added some isms along the way. Right. Uh-huh. But it was mostly doctoral students training under a couple of individuals on how to develop educational programming on these topics to raise awareness. Mm-hmm. That's what I was working on. Somebody walked into a class one day with the paper Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes had written for a, psycho- a psychology journal called Imposter Phenomenon amongst high-achieving women and started describing what their findings. All these bright, capable, competent people felt like they were fooling folks and they were going to be found out. And I mm-hmm. really was just nodding my head like a bobblehead doll, like, oh my God, that's <laughs> me. Looked around, all the other graduate students were nodding our head. So short story is we started a little imposter support group to talk about our you know, intellectual mm-hmm. fraudulence. We're fooling our professors. And then about the third week, I started to have this nagging sense, Monica, that even though the other doctoral students were saying they were an imposter, it's like I knew I was the only real imposter. So like the Beyonce of of imposters (laughs) changed my whole focus on my research. I just completely changed. And I decided to look at more broadly women's self-limiting attitudes and behaviors. In other words, what might be driving imposter syndrome? Mm -hmm. 15 professional women, a lot of the research was on students, undergraduate students at that time, Mm -hmm. 15 professional women, over half were women of color, which I can assure you was not typical in the early 1980s, or for that matter, sadly, today. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did my research on. I'm not a psychologist, I'm an an educator. So I, and Mm -hmm. and to me, it's all about applied research, like how do we make use of this? So I immediately turned it into what I now realize is the first educational intervention to imposter syndrome, which is a fancy way of saying I created a workshop, mm-hmm. a workshop, and then went on to deliver that, you know, truly mm-hmm. all over the world. I did a brief stint, so I was doing that as an independent, you know, consultant, right. essentially s- sitting, dialing for dollars in an office all day. Hey, do you want a workshop on imposter syndrome? Right. Associations. And then I got a, a opportunity to work in the training and development department of Cigna Corporation in Bloomfield, Connecticut. Uh, mm-hmm. Corporations were very mysterious places to me at the time. And then right. I was there, I'm like, oh, it's white guys in suits. <laughs> Especially yeah. <at> time. <laughs> so um, I spent two years in corporate training. And then I went for five years. I was in one of the lines of business in the strategic marketing department because I've always mm-hmm. been entrepreneurial and marketing oriented. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is too much detail, but my no, mom no, passed, this is amazing. My mom passed away at 61, completely unexpected, heart attack, mm. leading cause of death in women. You don't hear a lot about it. Yes. And that was like my wake up call because I was commuting 90 miles a day at that point, round trip. Great job, great people. Um, but, you know, it didn't like speak to me on any level mm-hmm. other than good, good money and good people. So I, I took another job closer to home. And mm-hmm. got there and realized I was the head of marketing for the smaller company, realized I had just changed deck chairs on the Titanic. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I don't need a new job. I don't need a new career. What I really wanted was a new life. Mm. So I I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up, but I knew what I wanted my life to look like. I wanted to work from home. This is before mm-hmm. that was common. I wanted to work for myself. So I... Mm-hmm slow transition you can't just leap from having a job to not having a job i um Mm -hmm. started a a a hard copy subscriber newsletter in 1995 called changing course Mm -hmm. and then it was changingcourse.com i had like 25,000 subscribers i trained like 350 people around the world to be like outside the job box career coaches to brainstorm yes start Mm -hmm. businesses 
all along still doing work on imposter syndrome. And mm-hmm. I sold Changing Course uh, about four years ago and just really focused full time on imposter syndrome. That's what my book was on. Yes. I decided to just really go all in on imposter syndrome and co-founded Imposter Syndrome Institute with with uh, Carolyn Herforth, who had been mm-hmm. a dear friend and an amazing uh, businesswoman herself. Yes. That's phenomenal. And I loved all of the various different, like you were saying, transitions, right? You changed lanes a couple of times, which makes sense for the company that you, you created, right? And right. and talking about that transition, and I think sometimes the imposter syndrome, like I, we work with so many women and the women who come to us a lot of the times are experiencing transitions where they're wanting to reinvent themselves or gain clarity on what it is that they want to be when they grow up, et cetera. Um, but all along the way, I find that sometimes the imposter syndrome kind of tapers their goals or their dreams down a little bit because whether they're self-limiting beliefs, any of those things um, as well. So can you share just either personal experience or what you've learned over the course of your, you know, decades and working with individuals around techniques that, you know, will help individuals overcome these fears and limiting beliefs? And what do you believe is at the root of some of these things? You know, interestingly, I I think having been an entrepreneur for many decades mm-hmm. that's really informed my thinking because uh, in terms mm-hmm. of what holds women back I, I i know many multi-millionaire internet marketers men mm-hmm. and their mantra is half ass is better than no ass they do a bad job they mean like get version one out the door and you can course correct as you go along yes. i see a lot of women like waiting until everything is perfect mm-hmm. or not thinking big enough, thinking too small, you know, and not, mm-hmm. not kind of scaling their business. Mm-hmm. In terms of where does it come from? I think there's societal factors. Mm-hmm. You know, if you belong to any group where there are stereotypes about competence or intelligence, you're going to yes. be more vulnerable to imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. That involves gender, that could be based on race, disability, being first generation, speaking a, uh, English is not your first language, but that's yes. the business your, your, uh, your company's doing business in English. Um, you know, if you got that pressure to kind of represent your entire group, if you're one of the first, the few, or the only, mm-hmm. absolutely, there's a societal element to it. There's mm-hmm. situational factors. Students, as a population, much more vulnerable to imposter syndrome, which makes sense because they're constantly, you know, having their knowledge and intellect tested. Yes. Um, folks who work alone, but people in certain occupations are also more vulnerable. Sometimes organizational culture can fuel self-doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you know, what I see as kind of the core common source to anybody with imposter feelings, and this really comes right back to my dissertation, what I found is people who feel like imposters have unrealistic, unsustainable expectations about what it means to be competent. Mm. You know, we can kind of hit yes. this sometimes, you know, we all know what it feels like to go, you know, I'm kind of a hot dog. That was pretty good. Right. And then we've all had moments <laughs> yeah. where like the fog machine comes down. We can't put together a complete sentence. Yeah. And if we're not over here, we throw ourselves over here. Mm-hmm. So for me at the core is to recognize that people who don't feel like imposters, and I don't mean that narcissistic proverbial kind of smartest guy in the room, but people who are genuinely humble, but don't have imposter feelings are not any more intelligent, capable, competent, talented than the rest of us. Mm-hmm. Just in the exact same situation where we feel like an imposter, they're thinking different thoughts. Mm. Specifically, yes. they have a realistic understanding of what it means to be competent. 
They have a healthy response to failure, mistakes, setback, constructive feedback, which, let's face it, feels like criticism. Yes. Uh, and they understand that a certain amount of fear and self-doubt go with the achievement journey. So uh, fundamentally, Monica, it's about, for me, the only way to stop feeling like an imposter is stop thinking is, is stop, uh, stop thinking like an imposter, become what we call a humble realist. In yes. Mm-hmm. That is so insightful. And I think what you mentioned, that the whole humble realist, like they're thinking different thoughts, their mindset is different. And it's kind of like par for the course. They understand that like, yes, they may have some feelings of imposter, but it's going to end and they just kind of keep moving forward. Um, And I think that is so, so intriguing. And I think for me, what I found phenomenal about your research was the competence types. When you kind of went through and you kind of drilled down into the different competence types and you listed them all and here are some of the things. Of course, for me, it was like light bulb, light bulb. And it was like, wait a minute, I think I'm all of these in some form or fashion in different environments and in different things. Um, And then the coping mechanisms that you talk about were really where I understood and I realized, oh my gosh, this is what I'm doing. How do I course correct? Um, and that's what really kind of connected dots for me. So can you share a little bit about, because I think when I talk to a lot of women and they talk about, you know, power of courage and the limiting beliefs, I do see a lot of the perfectionists coming out and some of the, you know, the natural geniuses, but then also the expert. I think sometimes it's the expert that I see a lot of women in corporate who kind of will not speak or give perspective because they feel like they need one more certification or they need so much more experience to be able to share their perspective or they'll get knocked down. So can you just quickly like crash course or cliff notes, share everybody the competence types and then maybe some of the, um, some of the, you know, just your observations on women in the workplace and sometimes when they deal with some of these and how they show up. Sure, absolutely. Um, and really, the, the five competence types, or they, they got shortened on the internet, everyone just calls them the five types of imposter syndrome. Yes. <laughs> uh, it really, it, it, I want to be clear, they're not personality types, they're not archetypes, they're not flavors. Some people describe them as the different flavors. No, they're, they describe our relationship with, with competence, right? What we mm-hmm. believe it means to be competent. The research on imposter phenomenon, it's heavily researched in the academic world, not surprisingly, finds a strong connection between imposter syndrome and uh, perfectionism. Yes. Uh, But in my experience, certainly there are a lot of women who are perfectionists and and that when we do a poll, we do uh, programming, we poll people, that's almost always the highest one. But not everybody resonates, right? So right. years, I would do this exercise where I would put people into groups and I would have them come up with the unrealistic, unsustainable imposter workbook. Mm-hmm. And in other words, fill in the blank. If I was really intelligent, capable, competent, I should, or I'd never, or I'd always. And I would collect these 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 flip charts. Mm-hmm. And, and I started rec- noticing patterns. And the pattern was, again, even though we all distort, skew what it means to be competent, we don't all do it the same way. So we all know the perfectionist, right? So for that person, they're expecting a, a flawless performance each and every time. Yes. A minor typo and the whole thing's ruined in their mind. You know, they'll mm-hmm. make a presentation. Remember, they forgot to make some minor point afterwards and, and like beat themselves up endlessly. Mm-hmm. It has to be A plus, perfect every single time. Then there is the expert. Doesn't mean they are an expert or they think they're an expert, although they may be. 
rather it describes that it's the knowledge version of the perfectionist. Mm-hmm. So in their mind, it's not so much about the quality of their work. It's not that that's not important, but what is paramount to the quote unquote expert is the is the quantity of knowledge and information that they know. So to your point, there's always one more book to read, one more class to take, one more degree yes. to get certification, right? This endless pursuit of the end of knowledge, or I'm not experienced enough to mm-hmm. go after this promotion or or raise my hand, wh- whatever that might mean to them. You know, now I'm generalizing. So a lot of men right, fall right. into this as well. But generally speaking, what I see is men will apply for a job if they have, you know, half the credentials and women want to have, you know, yes. more than 100% of the credentials, not mm-hmm. realizing so much of it is learning on the job. They're being right. hired for their capacity to, to understand something and be a leader, not that they've done it exactly the same way in their mm-hmm. previous job. The natural genius, again, doesn't mean they are a genius or think they're a genius. What it speaks to is the person who somehow got it into their head that if I was really intelligent, capable, competent, this wouldn't be this hard. Right. In other words, they are uh, measuring competence as being based on ease and speed. So they expect to pick things up very quickly and master them, whether it's knowledge or skills. And when they run into something where they have to struggle, it doesn't come easily to them. Then they judge themselves. You know, I must be an imposter. I'm not as capable as other folks Mm -hmm. without realizing that there's a learning curve to to most things. Mm -hmm. And they expect to step into a promotion, a new job, a new company, and just hit the ground running. Right. And the fact that they are like really anxious and again, like prove that must be an imposter instead of saying <laughs> there's a learning curve. Like that's what a humble realist would say. They would say, of course, I feel off base. I'm going to feel off base for the first month, the first two months, three months. That's how a person would normally feel in this situation. They wouldn't judge themselves as being inadequate. Mm-hmm. The soloist, as it sounds, is the person who thinks they have to do and figure everything out on their own mm-hmm. to get mentoring, coaching, support, advice in their mind to kind of prove they don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. pull back from that and then the, the superhuman sometimes people confuse it with the expert but I mean, i'm sorry with the perfectionist but the superhuman mm-hmm. is the person who is expecting themselves to excel at an equally high level in very different uh skill sets mm-hmm. so to be the big picture strategic planner and the detailed executioner mm, yes uh, you know scientific discovery scientist and people leader at the same time right they can do both, but probably not the, the same level. And sadly, in reality, is for women, because society make, gives us more things to feel inadequate about, we often feel like we also have to be the perfect parent, the perfect partner, house has to look great, we have to look great. So it's a lot to feel like we need to be super about. Mm-hmm. That's so, um, and, you know, insightful. I would say when you were kind of thinking about and writing about and researching these competence types, um, you know, what would you say was, you, you know, did you feel like this was a li- like you were writing a book about yourself or, or like, tell me a little bit, cause this is about you. How do you, how do you cope with some of these things or what are some of the things that you find yourself like, okay, I'm dealing with imposter syndrome right now. And how do I get myself out of it? Yeah, that's a great question. Somebody asked me, uh, I was doing a webinar for, at a university for graduate students. And somebody mm-hmm. said, you still feel like an imposter. And the honest answer is, I don't. But let me tell you what mm-hmm. I mean by that. Uh, I still feel, you know, I have moments of self-doubt, you know, mm-hmm. and, and certainly anxiety about some big moment, right? But I don't feel like an imposter, meaning I don't feel like I'm fooling anyone. 
Mm. I'm not externalizing my accomplishments and say, well, I just was lucky that I've been successful for 40 years. You know, right, right. right. Like, I got this big client. Uh, so I'm not doing that. You know, I, 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 so that's not happening. Mm-hmm. The difference is the example I gave them was I did this six minute TED talk. Like we mm-hmm. sent a one minute video to TED headquarters, like 12 of us got picked from God knows how many videos, mm-hmm. went to TED headquarters, did a six minute talk. Six minutes is tough, right? To have a beginning, a middle, and end. Yes. It was the most stressful thing I'd ever done. I spent hundreds of hours writing it, practicing, timing it. And I wanted to leave there like nailed it, you know, crushed it. And I didn't have that feeling. So mm. I was really down for like two days. And someone said, oh, so you felt like an imposter. And I said, no, let me be clear. I was disappointed. Right. There is a difference. And I think, Monica, I've heard myself say this stuff so often that now Mm -hmm. I'm disappointed if I have a setback, I make a mistake or I fail or Mm -hmm. something. But but I I, I more quickly am able to kind of course correct and Mm -hmm. nobody wins them all. Right. And what's next? What did I just learn from that? Mm hmm. And that's, I think that's so important. Like you said, you do have those feelings of disappointment, um, but you bounce back. And I think what I see sometimes with individuals who truly are suffering from imposter syndrome is that it becomes an obstacle they can't get past or they, you know, they become smaller than what they, what they are. And I think that's the important distinction. And I love what you said is that you, you know, I always tell people fear is false evidence appearing real and you have all the evidence otherwise, right? You have 40 years of success. And so it's like, yes, I can be disappointed because I, you know, was wanting something, another outcome or the outcome I was wanting wasn't quite met. But you can course correct, move on, and then the next time know what to do. Um, so I think that's so, so important. And I love the way that you framed it in, in that way of there's a difference. You can allow yourself to feel those things, but you can't let it stop you. Um, yeah. And I think that's the main, the main thing that I see all the time. Can I say one more thing? Because yeah. I know we're talking about you know, failure or constructive feedback and so on. But I also think I have a realistic understanding of competence. I was speaking to a group of healthcare executives in Orlando and I started coughing. You know, you get a tickle in your throat and you can't yes. stop. Uh-huh. I like, step away, excuse me, take some water. It took a minute to kind of come back. And I came back and I said, how many of you will be mortified right now if this happened to you? And a bunch of people raised their hand. And I said, yeah, I don't care. Now, <laughs> and then I made clear, it's not that I didn't care. I, these things are not important. And I now put it into perspective. And I said to mm-hmm. them, no one stormed out of the room and said, I'm not listening to this coughing woman one more second. We are so hard on ourselves and I think we need to just let things go and just laugh at them Mm. and, you know, and just move on much more quickly. I love that example. And I love what you were talking about in terms of feedback or, or, you know, that fear of failure. Um, Can you talk a little bit about how you personally, when you get feedback and like you said, you know, we all fear it or we don't like it, right? We, we associate the word feedback or failure with something negative, And there are other people that I've met who I've been like just in awe of who feedback and failure feeds them. And it's just like, how do I do that? Um, Share a little bit. What are your thoughts on that? You know, I think it's a transition to start seeing it uh, as as a positive. I'll tell you two quick stories. One was uh, this engineer at NASA. Uh, Mm -hmm. I, I was there and we talked afterwards and she had just gotten her performance review. 
and her boss told her like four or five areas where she was excellent. And then she said, is there someplace I could improve? And I said, that's great. Absolutely. You should be asking that question. Mm-hmm. And she said, yeah, but then he criticized me and I was depressed for weeks. Mm. I said, do you mind if I asked what the criticism was? And she said, yeah, he said I could have delegated more on my last project. Mm. I said, that wasn't criticism. That was information. He sees you operating on a higher level. Yes. Then there was this woman who wrote uh, an op-ed, uh, I don't remember, it was a big newspaper, but she was an executive coach. And she ironically had just come back from doing a talk on imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. And somebody emailed her, a young woman who was there and said, I enjoyed your talk, but FYI, you said, um, a hundred times. So this person is like counting how many times <laughs> you said, um. And she said, you know, I tell my clients constructive feedback is a gift, but when I got it, you know, I was crushed. I was upset. I was embarrassed. I was angry. Her daughter was furious. How dare she? And then, then she said, I, I kind of stepped back and I thought about it differently. And, and I had a different emotion. I thought she was going to say gratitude, mm. but she said, no, she felt sorry for this young woman because she, the young woman didn't realize that the best feedback is solicited and so on. And I thought, you know, you're self-employed. You should send this woman roses. She not only told you, <laughs> you said, um, a hundred times, she quantified it. She gave you, you want to be a speaker? You just got this gift. Uh, she didn't have to tell you, and she gave you this information. So we really have to shift it from, who do you want as your tennis coach? The person who says, well, Monica's holding her racket wrong, but I don't want to say anything because mm-hmm. I don't want to hurt her feelings. Or do you want somebody who's going to make you a better tennis player? I love that. Yes. It's just that who's going to tell you to make that two millimeter shift so that you can go from athlete to Olympian, right? Or are they going to allow you to say an athlete, um, a good athlete, but how can you be an Olympian? Um, I, I totally, I love those two stories because it actually kind of helps you visualize um, or quantify that, you know, how do you, how, do you look at it with the rose colored glasses or the jade colored glasses, right? right, um, right. And, and I think that's, that's the important piece. Um, can you talk a little bit about, we always tell women how we work with women and we realize, and it was almost kind of the example that you shared with NASA, where she wasn't delegating enough. And we see this a lot with women where women feel like they have to be the superhuman. They have to do everything or they, you know, they don't delegate because then others might think that they can't do it or they can't ask the questions because then they may be thought less of. Um, Can you talk a little bit about the power of community or that power of delegating or leverage um, and how it, you know, how you can, do it more in terms of a positive perspective of getting things done where men will ask and delegate and, you know, men will, like you said, sometimes only meet five points of the qualification and they'll say, oh, but I can have, you know, Michael, Mark and John help me with these other four things. Um, Talk a little bit about that. Have you seen that with women in, in terms of not really leveraging the good old boy club to get things done where they feel like they have to do it all themselves? Yeah, I think, and that can happen for a few reasons. And some you really kind of spoke to. One is you, there's this concern that if you delegate, will there be a perception that you can't do the job? And I would say it's the opposite. Mm-hmm. Holding on to things is problematic. Sometimes mm-hmm. we hold on to things because uh, if you want something done right, dot, 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 right? Yes. You do it yourself. <laughs> so there's a lot of kind of letting go and allowing people to have their own learning curve 
and mm-hmm. to you know be uh, make sure folks are trained and understand. But really, it should be delegated to the lowest possible level in the organization at which it can be done effectively. Mm-hmm. So I absolutely think you cannot scale a business. You can't grow in your career if you're doing it all yourself. You know, mm-hmm. delegation is, is an incredibly um, powerful and empowering tool. Mm-hmm. Yes, I love that. And I, I think the idea of what you were saying of delegating to the lowest possible level where it can get done efficient, efficiently, it makes me think of the idea of like, you know what, I need to focus on the million dollar problem. I shouldn't be wasting my time working on the $10 problem. Let me give that to somebody else, right? Um, and it's the idea of scaling or getting more done more efficiently and more cost effectively too, um, which I think is really powerful. Can I add um, one more piece to yeah, that? Yeah, definitely. Human element, I think, is somewhat specific to women, which is you and I have chatted other times about Pat Heim and the power dead even rule when I included yes. in my book. And that Pat Heim did this research finding that women are more comfortable. We're used to historically hierarchies between men and women, the male doctor, the female nurse, the mm-hmm. male executive, the female uh, assistant uh, you know, secretary. Mm-hmm. And but in our relationships with women, we like the power dynamic to be relatively even. And that's why a man Mm. kind of throw a file on his admin's desk and say, I need this done by two o'clock. And she'll say, fine, no problem. But if you do that, or I do that, they might say, you know, bitch, (laughs) (laughs) you kind of signal that you're superior, you're higher, you're quote unquote. Mm -hmm. When I was in my corporate job at Cigna, we had this really tough admin march. She did not like the women. I mean, she did not like the women. She loved the men. She would do anything for the men. Mm-hmm. I just instinctively started building a relationship with her. And I'd spend mm-hmm. time talking about her kids and her vacation. And I was trying to send the message like I didn't think I was better. Mm-hmm. Was. We had different positions. I wasn't better. In my very first performance review of my whole life, my boss said, what happened with Marge? What is up with Marge? She saw this change in Marge. We developed this relationship. Mm-hmm. She do stuff for me. So, you know, unfortunately, we might have to be kind of bicultural and mm-hmm. develop some of those relationships. So it's yes. more time, right? It's more work on our mm-hmm. part, but it might be just the reality and sometimes working with other women. Mm, I love that. Yeah, because I've heard, and I think you've probably heard that, you know, we've seen it, right? Where sometimes women will say, um, I work better, I get along better with men uh, because when I work with other women who are at my level or, you know, one or two levels above, it gets a little too competitive. Um, and what do you think is at play there? Do you think there's like imposter syndrome or something going on there with these women who are a little bit more standoffish? Kind of like the lobster in a barrel theory, right? Where when they see one woman climbing up that they, you know, they'll pull them down kind of like lobsters where you don't have to put the cap on the barrel because they'll pull each other back down. You know, I hear a lot about that. I, I have not ever experienced it. Mm -hmm. Um, I also think sometimes we put expectations on other women that we don't put on other men. Mm. They might just be busy with their job and they got a lot going on, but we haven't, we're expecting them to you know, mentor and nurture us in, in expectation we don't have for men. Mm-hmm. And I know in academia, you know, folks are struggling to get tenure. That very often happens to uh, people of color and women is they, they have to put all this effort in being on these hiring committees and all these you know, extra things mm-hmm. to be to give back to the their group and so on. 
So I think it's a it's hard to, for me to kind of generalize that that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. I, I like to think there aren't as many women out there pushing other women down. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's always going to be about building relationships. I guess I'd wonder how many men are there two levels up who are connecting on a really really genuine personal level with right. several levels down. <laughs> it's true. Superficially, <laughs> they might be. That's very, very true. And I love that observation. Um, that, that's, that's awesome. What if you knew exactly where to focus to go further, faster? Imagine having clarity on your strengths and barriers and the ability to take action and gain unstoppable momentum to deliver results and advance. Take the Beyond Barriers Momentum Metric Quiz to get a personalized report on the five C's, core categories used to measure and accelerate success. Visit gobeyondbarriers.com slash quiz to get your report today. I want to shift gears a little bit and talk, um, a, a, you know, you have been extremely successful in your career, both as, you know, when you were a professional and now as an entrepreneur, can you really t- talk a little bit about how you set those goals? Like, did you set out um, to to be the expert um, or, you know, what were those plans and what did you do to get there? Uh, no, I didn't set out to be an expert. I just set out to do something I knew how to do and to see mm-hmm. if I could um, make a difference mm-hmm. uh, in people's lives. And then I, I have a strong, you know, New England working class Yankee work ethic, <laughs> you know, so kind of brought myself to it. Because I think there's a lot of people, you know, this Monica, who talk about what they're going to do, mm-hmm. but don't always follow through and do it. And yes. I just always had a like, why not me? Like, why Oprah and not me, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> why yeah. Whatever, right? And not me kind of, kind of the worst that can happen is I, you know, I fall short. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, my big goal when I was writing my book, which by the way, was one of the hardest things I ever did. I seriously underestimated, you know, how long it was going to take was mm-hmm. I wanted to be on Oprah. That uh-huh. was, I, I did a vision board, which I'm not a big vision board person, but I did this vision board with yeah. This, all these media person at today's show and good morning America. And Oprah was like right in the middle. Right. And then she ended her show like a month before the book came out. <laughs> um, and I was like, Oh no, like it's so close. But the thing is, I don't know if I would have got on Oprah, but I mm-hmm. always believed that I could, I always believed it was possible. Mm-hmm. Um, dare I quote Will Smith. Uh, but one of his quotes that I really like is being realistic is the most commonly traveled road to mediocrity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, you know, if we think everything's realistic, we're never, are not realistic. Oh, get real. That's not, that's, yeah. and that's not going to happen. But like, mm-hmm. why not you? Can I tell a quick story? There's a guy in my yes. town who he was on the town council for 12 years. Mm-hmm. Ran for re-election didn't get reelected. So yes. Most people would be crushed, disappointed, maybe, maybe embarrassed. Who knows? But what he did is the very next day he went to Boston to the state house, took out papers to run for state office. His quote was, it was the next natural move. And I remember thinking, that's not intuitive to me, you know, for a lot of people, <laughs> that the next natural move following a setback is to shoot higher. Mm. Why not? He had everything he needed, 12 years experience. He'd been on all these boards for the town. Why not run for state rep? I mean, he didn't, mm-hmm. know, but he knew he could go for it. And why not? Yes. I love it. It makes me think of that quote, um, doubts kill more dreams uh, than failure ever will. Yeah. And so it's a little bit of the, 
why not me and think dream bigger, right? Dream bigger and, and go further. Um, I love that. I wanted to talk a little bit about because you have been successful, but you also, well, I mean, I know now you do a lot more virtual, but you used to travel a lot or, you know, speaking here and there. How did you integrate work and life, this whole myth around work-life balance? Like, how do you find time for yourself? What do you do? What are the boundaries you set to uh, for self-care? Or do you? Or are you struggling with that? <laughs> yeah, I don't do as well as I could mm-hmm. or should. I've been writing on my annual goals every year. Go see a matinee in the movie uh-huh. in the middle of the afternoon. I have yet <laughs> to go to a matinee. Actually, somebody wanted to go to a matinee. I'm like, what? Three o'clock in the afternoon? I have, I'm thinking, <laughs> I have to work. I have to work. And I'm like, wait a minute. I can go to a matinee if I want to. Uh-huh. Um, so I have to really work on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do walk two miles a day, but it's because I have a dog, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But I think a lot of us need more to do that. I mean, for me, mm-hmm. it's more about, I, I mean, I eat well. Mm-hmm. You know, I drink a lot of water, but could I be doing yoga? Absolutely. And, you know, mm-hmm. lots of things I could be doing, I'm not doing. Yes. And I think, you know, that's so important. And thank you for your honesty, because it. I, I one thing I always w- walked away from, the, you know, sessions that I had with you is normalizing. And so much of the whole imposter syndrome too is normalizing, getting people to understand that you aren't the only, because in our heads, we're so isolated and we think it's only us. And, you know, I see so many women beating themselves up because they're like, I don't have self-care. I mean, I don't do self-care. I don't have work-life balance, but neither does most other other individuals in their pockets and moments where you do take that time for yourself. But I don't think anybody has it figured out. Um, I know I certainly don't. And, and I, and I tried to teach it. Right. But it's like, it's hard to practice what you preach. So <laughs> I think normalizing it is so, so important. Well, my self-care is watching the bachelor and the bachelorette on Monday nights. <laughs> That's right. And I love that story that you said one time where you were going to, they were asking you, you were getting hired to go speak. And you're like, just as long as it doesn't conflict with Bachelorette. Well, Bachelorette. let me be clear. It was the NBA. And, and That's they, right. were starting this, it was, they were starting this group of women across all the franchises uh-huh. who were the revenue generators who were in sales. They weren't going to pay me. Mm. It was Monday night, yes. seven o'clock was virtual. And they said, well, we don't have a budget, but it's good exposure. And I said, people die of exposure, especially speakers. <laughs> but I said, I'll do it, because, but I won't make a formal presentation. I'm not going to use slides. I'll answer questions. You know, I want to put on my bio. I've spoken at NASA, the National Cancer Institute, the MBA. And I, but, yes. I, but I have to be up at eight o'clock because the bachelor's on. And that's a great example of like, I don't give a shit anymore. You know, it's yes. Like, at some point, you're like, I don't care what they think of me. You're not even paying me. So they introduced me that way, but she has mm-hmm. to know eight because the bachelor is on. I said, it's the most dramatic season ever. <laughs> and several of those women wrote to me afterwards. That, Wasn't that crazy what happened on the show last night? So yes. I'm the only one. <laughs> I love it. But, but I think the other message that's in there is that, you know, you know your worth. And you weren't about to do your full presentation that, you know, takes your time. Um, and, and there's, there's value in that, right? And if they're not going to pay you, no, you're not going to do that. But you also set boundaries on if I'm going to do this for you as a, you know, as a favor, here's what I get out of it. This is worth it to me, but not during bachelor. Um, so setting those boundaries, but also knowing your worth and asking for what you want and saying, Absolutely. pay me, right? Otherwise pay me. Like I'll miss bachelor, but you've got to pay me a lot to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a real conflict for me. And I tell women's organizations all the time, they want me to speak at a conference. They say, we don't pay our speakers. 
I'll say, here's the problem I have with that. This is my livelihood. But more importantly, what message are we sending to women that says we don't value your time and we don't value your expertise? And often, Monica, they're like, wow, we never thought of it that way. Yes, exactly. And I mean, it's it's kind of like we're we're perpetrating, you know, the gender gap like we're we're basically not helping close it. We're, we're creating a bigger gap by doing that. I think that's so powerful. And I love that message when you share that. Um, and and I've, lever- I've leveraged it ever since then as well. Like when I get asked to speak and it's just like, oh, but we don't have a budget. And it's just like, well, then, you know, I, I don't think I can, I can speak for you because I have other paying clients, um, which is, which is true. I love this. I could go on and on and on with you. So, um, but what I want to do is jump to our closing lightning round questions because these are fun. We'll get to know more about you, Dr. Valerie Young. Um, and these are, these are fun off the top of your mind, um, you know, questions that I think will be fun for you to answer. Um, what book has greatly influenced you? Uh, it would have to be Barbara Winter's book, Making a Living Without a Job. Mm, I love it. Actually went on to do, her and Barbara share. we did a three-day Making Dreams Happen workshop in Boulder, Colorado. And can I have one more? I want yeah. you to see if it's still in print. It was a book called Games Mother Never Taught You. Mm. And it was one of the very, it was Corporate Gamesmanship for Women. It was, I think, the first book, like what are the books out there now? Um mm-hmm. Nice girls don't get the corner off. Yes. Uh-huh. It was the first book that really looked at how organizations are based on a military model in terms of chain of command and a sports model. And mm. it was completely eye-opening to me when I went into a corporation to understand that landscape. Wow, that's phenomenal. And it's so true. Like some of the, like you said, the military model and the sportsmanship, because they always talk about team, teamwork, team things. And you realize how some of these systemic barriers sometimes play out from the root of where it came from and their mentality of thinking military and sports. And where the military comes in is, you know, you start a new job and your boss's boss says, "My, I have an open door policy. Any problems you let me know? I would think <laughs> they mean it. Oh, okay. I would naively go tell them my problems, right? They don't mean that because I broke the chain of command by going over my boss. Yes. The skip level. <laughs> I love it. Um, next lightning round. What is your favorite inspiring quote or saying? Uh, well, actually, I think I, I shared it was Will Smith. Uh, uh, no, I no, totally flew out of my head. What was it? Um, <laughs> it completely flew out of my head. Uh, but it had to do with mediocrity. You know, being being yes. realistic is the most commonly traveled road to uh, to mediocre. Yes. Uh, Don't worry. I, I couldn't I remember it either. I was like racking my brain. I'm like, what is it? <laughs> you know what? That's a good example, Monica. Like stuff like that happens when you're speaking. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. one time I said, as, as Henry Ford said, and then I had no idea what Henry Ford said. I couldn't remember. <laughs> and I think those are things that we normally would be mortified and we feel like we're an imposter. But instead, we have to just laugh and go, oh, we've, we've all done that and just move on. Yes, I love it. So we'll leave it in. We won't edit it out. People can see. Yeah, it came to you and and, and they got it. What is one word or moniker that you would use to describe yourself? Oh, God. I guess the first thing that popped into my head was, was determined. Determined. I totally believe that. Yes. What is one change, a habit, a behavior, an action that you implemented that made your life better? I think it was, gosh, and who said, I think it was John Stewart said his big moment came when he realized this was his life. Mm. 
And I think that was the same for me of recognizing, you know, wanting to have control of my life and time to, you know, to the extent possible. I, I would say that was it. Mm, I love that. And this is my favorite. And we'll close out with this is you have spoken many times out on stage. And so in your head, what is that power song when Dr. Valerie Young walks out on stage, they call your name. What is that power song playing in the background as you walk out on stage? Gosh, I am horrible with names of songs. Mm-hmm. Can you think of a good one for me? Um, let's think. I can think of several, but I would say um, the one that popped into my head was This Girl is on Fire. <laughs> All right, I'll take that. You know, I got this Tracy Chapman song in my head, and I'm like, no, that, that's not the right song, but I cannot sleep at night singing I've got a, you know, that fast car song. I yeah. like that. I'll take that. Yeah. This girl is on fire. fire. There you go. Do that. Fantastic. Well, um, Dr. Young, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. I know um, that you uh, have lots of places to be, lots of things to do, but I know that this um, episode will resonate very well with our audience. And I'm sure as many times it happens after, you know, a podcast, people will reach out and say, how do we stay in contact? How do we follow Dr. Young? Um, what's what what what's the best way for someone to stay in contact and follow you? And what what do you have coming up that they could engage in? Well, it couldn't be easier because I've had the domain imposterstheorem.com since 1995. <laughs> so very easy to find. Um, one of the big things we have coming up is a new uh, program called the Imposter Syndrome Informed Coach. Mm. whether it's somebody who is literally their job is coaching or they do a lot of mentoring or advising of mm-hmm. other folks, not uniquely women, but anybody with imposter syndrome. Um, or indeed, if you're a manager, but you, you're doing a lot of coaching. Uh, yes. That's, I think, the big thing coming up that will be most relevant for folks. Yes. And and I can attest to that. I've, I've done um, a couple of your programs and the certification and, um, you know, even... Every single time you, I kind of pick up your book again or, or read something or do something, I learn something new or I retain something new. Um, so I would encourage anybody, for those of you who have read her book or anything, definitely uh, consider one of these institutes, um, one of her programs through the Institute. Um, they've been so helpful for me as well. Um, well, again, it's been a pleasure and um, we will continue to stay in contact and um, more to come. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Beyond Barriers podcast. There are thousands of podcasts out there, and we are so grateful that you've chosen to listen to ours. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and tell a friend, or share what you've learned on LinkedIn and tag us. We love hearing from our audience. Visit us at gobeyondbarriers.com, where you can subscribe and find show notes, links, and the best way to connect with our guests. Music